Talmor, Sheshin Mugachi. Talmor is my home. My family have worked the land for generations. My grand says the island does not belong to us, but we belong to the island. And we must be ready for a great evil is coming. And death follows with it. Listen and subscribe to the latest season of Undertow, The Harrowing, a story glass production presented by Realm, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, but more recently, a large part of my identity is being a father to my wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I hope to open the conversation about working parents a bit. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier, to find out how they balance being a dad with a successful career. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. There has been three times in my life where uh, somebody famous, a celebrity who has passed away, has moved me to tears. Uh, the first was Len Bias. He was 18 or 19. He was a kid, basketball player. Um, I was a teenager. I think I was in high school. Uh, uh, he was... Going to be the number one pick for the Boston Celtics, or maybe he had been the number one. I think he had been the number one pick, and and, and he he passed away. And uh, I woke up to that news uh, and was inconsolable, not because I was a Maryland fan, but um, I think that it was, as an athlete back then, it was the first time that death was real to me. The second time was when Steve Jobs died, which was an odd one for me because I had spent most of my professional life writing about the terrible intellectual property copyright things that Apple had done in order to build the company. But the reality was I would not have left my small town in Appalachia had the personal computer not been invented. Um, and even though I used a Commodore 64 and then 128, the first, the first computer I ever bought was an Apple laptop. And so that hit me because it was so profoundly important in my life. And then today, uh, I left therapy, literally got in my car and my watch buzzed. And all I saw, because I have a, I don't use Apple products, I have a shitty watch. All I saw was Elizabeth Wurzel. And I sort of clicked through it and saw that uh, she had passed away um, uh, from breast cancer. And I have been <laughs> in some state of crying since 
11 o'clock this morning. And it's uh, weird because she's such a time and place writer. And if you are of my generation, if you are Gen X, we lived at the cusp of this transformation that we now see in society where things like race and class and gender were being discussed, I think, in new ways, in ways that none of us really knew how to navigate, but all of us were interested in navigating it in that Gen X kind of way, right? Where, like, you know, I I had a chance to interview Rebecca Walker, you know, like... um, and talk to these young feminists who were unapologetically bold and fierce and didn't care if you were uncomfortable. And it was, at least for me and in the world that I ran around in, um, it was refreshing, right? Like, that was the kind of world that we wanted. That was sort of what the Gen X experiment was, Um we were just sick and tired of all the bullshit. And so we wanted people to be authentic. And, you know, I've always told folks, like, Gen X didn't want to change the world. Gen X wanted to change their neighborhood. And that was sort of the extent of what we wanted to do. Everything else seemed full of, I don't know, hubris, right? Like, I'm going to change the world. No, fucking plant a garden and make your neighborhood better. And and these women, this Rebecca Walker, this Elizabeth Wurzel, like who were writing unapologetically about who they were and what they went through, it it's hard to explain. And maybe it only impacts me because I was a writer, or I am a writer. I don't know. I. F- I feel like um, being on Twitter today. (laughs) Clearly for Gen X women, she gave voice to things that they were not encouraged to speak about and that they were not encouraged to be public about. And (laughs) Elizabeth Borstel didn't give a fuck about any of that and was sort of unapologetically her for all the good and the bad. People either loved her writing or they hated her writing. But as a writer, I fucking loved her writing. I read it when it came out in 1994. Um, I was an education major, and we actually read it as part of one of our classes uh, because I had a professor... Um, Alan Frager, who I'm still friends with today. He's the best fucking education teacher ever. Um, And we talked a lot about diagnosing kids, and teacher training back then was very, very different. Um, You know, I was in class from the first day I stepped on campus at Miami University. And so we were going and testing kids and diagnosing them and trying to figure out, like, do they have problems? And I don't want to belabored the mental health thing. But as a teacher, what what you didn't want to do is just drug a kid because they were 
loud or couldn't sit still. Like, if you were going to medicate somebody, you wanted to make sure that it was because they actually had a problem and not because it was easy, right? And Prozac Nation um, was, at least for me, the beginning of that discussion, right? And so... When the book came out, I read, I read this in a sitting. I, I'm holding the original copy here in my hand. Um, uh, and I went down to the book reading when, when she came through Cincinnati. Because the book had so profoundly impacted me, both as someone that wanted to be a teacher, but also as a writer, because the voice is just fucking... If you've ever read an Elizabeth Wurzel book... You know it. She has a style. But she was also just a few years older than me. You know, she was fucking gorgeous. She didn't give a shit about anything. Um, or didn't give a shit about what you thought. I think she gave a shit about a lot of things. Um, and so I went down. I was in, it's important to note, I was in a terrible relationship that was ending. And so when she was reading, she was... Somebody described her today on Twitter as our rock god. And, like, that is what she was. So I went to this reading. I got a black leather biker jacket, fucking combat boots, goddamn black pants, you know, white T-shirt. I got a middle finger earring. And I show up to this Barnes & Noble. I think it was Barnes & Noble. Maybe it was Border. Everybody in the room is like a middle-aged or like 30-something woman. And then there's me. And I sat in the back because I didn't... I was already a fucking spectacle. And, uh, you know, I bought the book and, and she gave the talk. And uh, at the end, I went up to get the book signed. Dear Brad, thank you so much for reading this book and coming out to say hello. Keep straight, Elizabeth Wurzel. So I was the last one to get my book signed because I was shy back then and I didn't really want to push my way to the front, but also she's our rock god. So we get to the, we, I, you know, I get to the front and um, she asks... And if you've read the book, she's a wild child. She was a wild child to the day that she passed away, apparently. Um, she said, well, what, what's, what, what's fun to do here in Cincinnati? I guess she was here for the night. 47-year-old um, Brad would have said, well, let me take you downtown and show you around. What 21 was 1994, so what 22-year-old Brad did was say, well, there's some there's an interesting place called the Warehouse, which was a dance club, um, that I think you'd enjoy. And she said, oh, great. Can you take me there? To which I responded, no. <laughs> uh, to which I have fucking spent the rest of my life like smashing my head into a wall uh, because fucking what? Like, what are you thinking? And that was my first experience with her, right? Like, this amazing book, and she was just this larger-than-life figure, but also, like, very kind and very nice in the, you know, whatever, three minutes that we talked. So then we fast-forward. Um, you know, I'm a writer. She's a writer. We are not writers of the same caliber, obviously. 
um, she becomes this generational icon. And through the magic and joy of social media, we become friendly through Instagram and Twitter and things like that. And so over, over the years, over the last few years, so this is 20 some odd years later, right? When I have all of her books sitting in my front living room, uh, we just started chatting. She didn't actually have a huge following on Instagram or whatever. So like, it just like, there was no sliding into DMs and shit like this. As you know, I love writers. She was an important writer. So every once in a while, we would end up having a conversation. When she wrote the piece last year about finding out her father wasn't her father, we talked a lot online about that because the ever-unfinished So Far Appalachia book is a lot about my fucked-up family. And so there was this sort of weird, casual friendship that sometimes percolates up through social media when it's not an entire garbage can. And she was lovely, and I loved talking with her. And it was strange to me because so many years earlier, when I had met her at the beginning of my writing career, she was everything that you wanted to be. I mean, she was fucking beautiful. She had this amazing voice. She didn't give a fuck. Her life felt big. And it's the kind of thing that you wanted to do. It's the kind of thing that made you want to say things, right? Like, just the brief interactions that I had with her always made me fucking feel like, okay, it's time to say the things that you need to say or that you want to say. It's hard to explain that. And then... Your watch buzzes, and she's gone. And it's an odd thing. As I don't, I can't speak to the other generations. All I can say is that it's an odd thing for Gen X folks, who've spent most of our life not having icons, because that's what we do, right? We don't have icons. And then you sort of realize, oh, you, we do. Um, we do. It's hard to imagine living in a world that she isn't in. And it's hard to explain 1994 to people 26 years later if that's possible, and why there's an entire generation of women on Twitter today who are absolutely crushed because she was the person that gave them voice and gave them ability to have their voice. And she took a whole lot of shit for it. She took a whole lot of shit. Um, and I think it's hard for you know, guy writers like me who in some manner, shape, or form that was like who you wanted to partner with, right? Like 
you wanted a force of nature like that who was unapologetic and who didn't make things easy on you because she didn't have to be easy, right? And that was... That was our rock god. So I don't have any fun interviews with her like I had with George Carlin when he passed away. Uh, I had been trying to get her to come on the show. And it's funny, the other day, I had realized that I hadn't seen her online in a few months. Um, Which seemed odd, but also not, because we're old. And that news came today. And I thought, oh, that's why, right? This person with a fucking personality that, like, flew out of the books disappeared on us and went away quietly. I don't know how it ended. I don't know what went on. I haven't read a whole lot about that, but it felt... When I was going through the divorce, I'd lived so much of my life online that I made a conscious effort over the last 18 months or two years to not be online as much because it felt like it needed I needed space for me. And this is what that felt like, right? That she had been our voice for so long. Um, and that she got to have her space at the end. At least I hope that's what happened. Um, Because she was unabashedly and without question one of the best of our writers. And everybody who's Gen X who went into writing, whether they know it or not, and everybody who's writing today, all the first-person memoir family, like, she helped carve that path. And so I hope everybody goes out and picks up Prozac Nation, bitch, uh, more again now, goes and reads the essays in the cut about her family and about her life. And just doesn't give a fuck about what people think, at least for a day. This is Brad. This is a very special edition of the Downtown Writer's Jam podcast. I will see you all around the internet. The thing that I fought tooth and nail to bring my son into is Dungeons and Dragons. That is the ultimate solution to parenthood. I'm Alexis Ohanian. In my podcast, Business Dad, I'm hoping to open up the conversation about balancing careers and family. I talked to Rain Wilson. I wanted to learn more about Rain's advice to play D&D with your kids. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.